Our lesson tonight is titled, Savoring the Strength and Beauty of Submission. And to some, this title may be full of oxymorons. Maybe you hear those words and you think, those words do not belong in the same string of words, the same sentence. Because many women today actually resent the idea of submission. Um, our mainstream culture and um, our media definitely does, right? And so you may also hear that term and think um, of, you know, the opposite of strength. You may think, oh, weak and wimpy and whiny when you hear that word submissive. It may not be an appealing uh, quality of beauty to you when you think of it. And again, our, our mainstream media definitely does not see that. And yet, as we work through scripture this year that defines the qualities of biblical womanhood, the, this concept in particular just cannot be passed over. Um, I have been married for 19 years today. Some of you in the room were there. <laughs> and, um, you know, my husband reminded me last night, I got married at age 19, and so he said, you know, tomorrow you will have been married to me longer than you are not married to me. So, I thought, wow. And yet still, even with that in mind, I am not going to stand here tonight and tell you how to master the art of submission. 19 years ago, I thought, well, surely, you know, by the time you're married 19 years, you know it all, right? I'll have that down. And I would imagine that those of you in this room who have been married for 40 years or more uh, may feel the same way. You may feel like, you know, at 19 years, I thought surely by 40 years <laughs> I'll have this down. And maybe you do. And maybe you should be standing here tonight and not me. <laughs> but, um, you know, in studying this, I'll kind of call it the S word of biblical womanhood, I've learned a lot about what submission is and what it's not. And so uh, I want to start with just saying, first of all, it's a principle that applies to all women. And so just like our calling to be women, to seek wisdom and to turn from temptation, which we've covered in the months past this year, the heart of submission is a mandate for all believers, not just married women. And not even just women. Obviously, we'll focus on the implications for women tonight. But I hope you don't hear the word submission and tune out what the word says. Because you think maybe you have a free pass on this one because you, you may not have a husband to submit to. I've been married to Adam Bickley for 19 years now. But more importantly, I have been a daughter of the king for more than 30. And it's he who desires and requires a heart that is submissive to him, ultimately, and every other authority that he has sovereignly placed in my life. I realize this is one of the most countercultural truths that we are called to affirm as women who are committed to the authority of Scripture. It's a concept that creates confusion and even fear in the hearts of many, but it's a truth 
that properly understood and lived out is really an incredible gift of God. It's one of our most powerful means of being conformed to the image of Christ and one of the most impactful ways to reflect the image of Christ. I've used resources uh, for tonight's lesson from Revive Our Hearts, from John Piper and Kimberly Wagner in putting the pieces of this lesson together. And I want to specifically mention that. It's actually in my purse. I meant to bring it up here. But I don't know if you guys remember, Kimberly Wagner came to, I think, our 2018 conference and spoke. And she wrote the book, um, Fierce Women, The Power of a Soft Warrior. I don't know if you remember her. But I, her book has been incredibly helpful to me over several years now. And she really does a beautiful job of describing this paradox of strength and submission from the perspective of a woman with a very strong, assertive, and passionate personality, if you happen to know anyone or be anyone like that. So if you'd like to kind of dig in more on this topic, I would definitely recommend that book. And I have a copy you can see after this lesson. Because there is really a great deal of misunderstanding about the whole subject of submission and because there's been so much abuse of this concept, I'm going to start with taking some time to establish what submission is not. We need to make it clear that submission of women to male headship in the home and in the church is not demeaning of women. That it does not mean that men are superior to women or that men are more capable or more intelligent or more spiritual than women. It does not mean that. It does not mean that women don't have opinions or that they don't express those opinions or give input to situations. Our husbands need our input and our ideas. Our church leaders need our gifts for us to fulfill our part in the body of Christ. Submission does not mean that the men in authority, whether in the church or in the home, are always right. They aren't. They're sometimes and often wrong, and they sin, as do we. Submission does not mean blind obedience. It does not mean that we sin in order to submit. And it doesn't mean that you overlook sin in the authority. Submission doesn't rule out gently, humbly, and wisely confronting sinful behavior in the authority or bringing it to the attention of civil leaders or spiritual authorities with the goal of bringing the one in authority to repentance and restoration. There are appropriate ways to confront and deal with and appeal to an authority that is in sin. Submission does not mean that women are to be submissive to all men, only to those that God has placed in authority over them in the home and in the church, though we are to show honor and respect to all men, and for that matter, to all women. Submission is not a license for those in authority to be abusive or domineering or disrespectful to those under their authority. Submission is not a mindless, spineless action. It's manifesting the same spirit that Christ exhibits towards his Father. Listen, 
Men are never given absolute or ultimate authority. The only one who has absolute and ultimate authority is who? God. And all human authority is delegated authority. So authority, whether it's a pastor or a husband or any other kind of leader, government official, an employer, it doesn't give absolute rights. It does not give a right to disobey God or to lead others into sin. It's limited authority. And submission is not to be coerced. Nowhere does God in the scripture tell men that they are to rule over their wives. It's to be voluntary freely given and that's why scripture says to women submit yourselves to your own husbands and we'll look at this more a little in depth later i think what we need to understand is that the concept of submission is a gift it's designed by god for our blessing and our benefit now granted we live in a fallen sinful world so things go awry and it doesn't always work in the way that God intended it should, right? Because again, we're all sinful. Men are sinful. Women are sinful. And so I don't want to just skip over the fact that there are so many different circumstances and situations. But we need to step back and look at God's original, divine, ideal picture and remind ourselves that God is wise. God is good. He loves us, and he has our best interest at heart. Since the fall in the garden, and I feel like every month that's where we come back to, men have always struggled with the issue of submitting to God when it comes to exercising godly leadership in their homes. There's been a tendency on the part of men to abdicate that responsibility and to be passive and to disengage. And since the fall, women have struggled to submit to God's authority by graciously submitting to the authority and leadership of their husbands. Our temptation and tendency has been to be controlling with a capital C. Failure on both parts, men and women, has created this cycle that has resulted in deep heartache and conflict and dysfunction in both men and women. Submission takes us, though, to a place of humility and faith. Humility means it doesn't have to be my way. It can be God's way. I don't have to be in charge. And faith means I trust in the goodness and the sovereignty, the wisdom and the plan of God. It ultimately comes to a point of surrender and not to a man, but to God. So now that we've taken some time to determine what submission is not, and why it's so difficult and such a struggle, let's look at God's word to find out what it really is and what does it mean to savor the strength and beauty of submission as a woman of God. 
The word submit comes from a compound Greek word, hupotasso. Hupo means under. Tasso means to line up or to get in order or to arrange. So basically to arrange under. It's a military term that means to rank beneath or under. The first thing we need to realize about what submission is, is that God has established order. He has established headship, authority, and submission in every sphere of life. In the home, in the church, in the workplace, in the government, submission is not just for women. I'm going to keep coming back to that. Submission is for men. Submission is for young, for children, for old, for married, for single. Everybody has to be under submission to one or more human authorities in their lives, and all of us are under submission to God's ultimate sovereign authority. But there are two specific areas that impact us most as Christian women. So we're going to look there, and if you'd like to turn with me, the first passage is in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 18. Some of you probably already guessed that. So Colossians 3, we're going to read 18 through 26, and this is where we see God's design for our role in the home. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving who? The Lord Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Marriage works best when a husband is submissive to who? To God. To Christ. And a wife is submissive to her husband because that's the way God intended it to be, both parts. To buck against any God-ordained role always leads to dissatisfaction. But to embrace God's design is to embrace the blessings of the designer. Submission does not degrade women. Instead, it opens the door for the kind of marriage she desires. I would be surprised if I were to meet a Christian bride who did not truly desire that her husband led her home in a godly manner submitted to Christ. 
And I would be surprised to find a Christian wife whose husband was loving the Lord and leading in that manner, who did not have a desire to follow this plan that God has laid out. Because Christ-centered submission leads to blessing. And just as it's a comfort to be under the faithful leadership of Christ, so it is a comfort for a wife to be under the steadfast leadership of a godly husband. And I realize not all men are godly. And so there's hope there too. According to 1 Peter 3, 1, Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so here we see that regardless of the circumstance, who are we accountable for? We are ultimately accountable for ourselves and will give an account for ourselves regardless of the circumstances. Even in challenging marriages, we see grace where a godly wife can encourage an ungodly husband to pursue the Lord. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessels since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's look now at Hebrews 13. And it's really just one verse. If you want to turn there, it's Hebrews 13, verse 17. I have more to say on that topic, but we're going to go ahead and jump, and then we'll come back again. I'm going to just kind of leave us there with those scriptures. And I want us to look at Hebrews 13, verse 17, where we see God's design for our role in the context of the church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This verse suggests to me that to obey and submit to our leaders is to our advantage. And when we don't submit to their leadership, we lose something. We miss out on something. Spiritual leaders in the church have the God-given responsibility to lead, to guide, and to rule over their flock. These men are under God's authority and will give an account for how they have led. They are responsible, and it's a high and holy responsibility to watch over our souls. And as we can see, according to Scripture, the position of authority is given to men in marriage and in the church. It is. We just read it. And according to these verses, that's no small responsibility for the men either. Men are responsible to lead, to protect, 
to provide for the women under their care, and to exercise that leadership in a way that is loving and, uh, and humble and servant-hearted, to seek the best interests of those they are leading, to lead and love as Christ leads and loves his church. And this is probably the more difficult task. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not always easy to love. The responsibility of men is to provide loving, humble, servant-hearted leadership in the home and in the church. And whether they assume and fulfill that responsibility or not, it is still their God-given responsibility. Our responsibility as women of God is to respond to that leadership in humility, graciously following and submitting to God-ordained authority. And that does not mean that we are to brainlessly or weakly or spinelessly follow. In fact, it takes incredible wisdom and strength of character to submit well in a way that is in accordance with this biblical pattern for submission. How then do we do this? How do we do this in the best of circumstances? And how do we do this in the worst of circumstances? Every single woman in this room tonight is in a different situation. Whether you are married or you are single or you have a husband or not, whatever that looks like for you, there, there are struggles. Am I right? Either way, guess what? No matter what the circumstance, we are called to follow the very same example and who is that example? It's Jesus. I was telling Janie when we were talking about this lesson, I, I shouldn't be so surprised, really, but every single month when we've come to another topic of what, what it, you know, biblical womanhood looks like, every single time I keep finding myself like pleasantly surprised for some reason, that the answer is always Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, Jenny, you wouldn't believe submission. It's about Jesus. <laughs> I know that seems so silly, but I think we get caught up in this idea of, of womanhood, and we have this unique role and this special purpose and these unique, this unique design and these gifts, and yet, and, and we think, well, Jesus is a man, right? But Jesus has provided every perfect example and grace that we need. So how do we do this? We look to Christ. We see in scripture that Christ, who is one with the Father and in no sense inferior, submits to his Father's will. In John 6, 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And here we're going to see exactly what it looks like to live out Christ's example of humility. 
So Philippians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is a, the example of how to live in humility, and it's not just for women, and it's not just for men. It's for all followers of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 to 28, we see the reason for this design and the result. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 24, says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is ex ex accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in, in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. When we submit to God-ordained authority, we are picturing to the world the beautiful, powerful, passionate submission of Christ to his heavenly Father and why what was that very last phrase? Why? So that God may be all in all. Listen, ladies, when we are asked to submit to God-ordained male authority, we're asked to be like Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. Submission, though, is not first and foremost actions. It's not just the things you do. It's not just the letter of the law. It's not just doing what you're told to do. Submission is an attitude of the heart that trusts God. And I'm going to say that one more time because that really convicted me. Submission is an attitude of the heart that trusts 
God. We can trust God when we understand the character of whom we are trusting. Our trust has to be rooted in the qualities of God whom we serve. He is good and full of compassion. His mercies are new every morning. He is holy and righteous. He is Lord. He is Redeemer. And when trials come and the rubber meets the road, do we believe that? Do our actions reflect accurately the God we serve? I want you to consider these four particular attributes of our God, and these are found in Revelation chapter 1, 5, 19, and 22. I could spend all night talking about the qualities of God, but I want us to focus on these four briefly. He is the conquering king. He is the Lord of lords. He is the man on the white horse who is called what? Faithful and true. Faithful and true. Faithful and true. He is the judge and the ruler of kings on earth. So, if we are called to live this out as Jesus Christ himself as our example, how do we do this joyfully? Once we are captured with the magnificence of who our God is, there is joy in trusting him and arranging our lives under his leadership, saying, not my will, but your will be done, and watching Christ work in us in the midst of our situations. There is joy in submitting when our heart fully trusts God, there is joy in submission when we understand the hope of the gospel. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can say no to self and say yes to God, to his will, and follow him in humble obedience. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. There is joy in submission when we realize that because Jesus is big enough, we do not have to be God. We do not have to be in control. I loved this statement. There is no room in the Trinity for us. <laughs> we do not and cannot fix everything. Are there any other fixers in the room? Thank you. <laughs> we can trust the one who holds all things together. Who knows where we're going to go next? He holds all things, all things, all things together. Do you remember where that's? where that song, I, had to, I have to sing it now every time I read it. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There is joy in submission when we comprehend that God's goal is to conform us into Christ's likeness through our submission to his leadership. Let's look in at Philippians chapter 3, if you're turning. It's Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians 3, looking at verses 7 through 10. Again, there is joy in submission when we comprehend that God's goal is to conform us into Christ's likeness through our submission to his leadership. Philippians 3, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Ladies, as we trust God, we point a watching world to a trustworthy, good God. To be completely honest, there are several areas of my life where I have struggled and struggled to submit to God sometimes because I'm afraid of what he'll ask of me. And I need his grace to trust him more. It's another song. <laughs> I'm not going to sing this time, though. I do. I need his grace to trust him more. And we've read these examples from Scripture. But, you know, I was thinking um, over the weekend and really especially just in the past 48 hours, um, God has been so gracious to us in this body to not only give us his word and these examples of the example of Christ. I mean, what else do we need? We, we don't need anything else. And yet he has mercifully and graciously allowed there to be women in our body who we have been able to watch live this out day by day in this day, in our time, in the flesh, right before our very eyes. I mean, we were graciously allowed to walk with mercy 
all the way home as she lived this out in front of us. And we are now surrounding and, and watching Brianna walk through just probably, I mean, speaking of worst fears, I can't imagine in both circumstances, truly in the worst of circumstances, live out this faith and submission to God, trusting him. Yesterday, um, you know, Brianna um, ended up, at, they ended up at the hospital with Cade and um, Anita took a call, took her call and came out to the bathroom and I came down from the choir loft and came to the bathroom and she was there and she was talking to Brianna and she said, you're not, you're not going to believe this, but she showed me a picture and they were at the emergency room and Cade was not doing well. Brianna was, was scared, and she's very strong, but she was in tears. She was, she was very concerned right now. And um, the picture was not of Cade, and it was not of Brianna. It was of a, a nurse, I'm assuming, in the hospital room who had opened up to um, Brianna and Dylan about the fact that his son had just been diagnosed with a, a critical disease and the picture was of Dylan and this man praying for that man's son. And Anita said, this is their mission field. This is what they've been called to. I think it's just so gracious of our Lord to allow us to, to see in the flesh these women, these sisters of ours walk through this. And I know that there are other situations in this room that women probably haven't even shared. Silent and secret struggles that only the Lord knows that they are walking through every day. And again, it goes back to why we're here, why we need Jesus, and why we need the body of Christ. But there is joy and submission to whatever God's plan is when we are able to point the watching world to a trustworthy and good God. I would be very surprised if that man expected to hear Brianna and Dylan talking about the goodness and the faithfulness of God in that circumstance. And yet they did. And they shared that with him. It's not natural for us to submit. Our flesh vigorously fights against it, which means that setting ourselves aside is a quality that takes God's strength. We need the Lord to help us submit. A submissive woman is not a weak woman, though. A submissive woman walks in Christ's strength. She is a woman who desires God's will above her own. And when it's hard, we can look to Christ, who fully submitted himself to God's will with complete confidence in God's good plan. We are not less of a woman when we submit. 
We're who God made us to be. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you first and foremost for Jesus. We thank you for the example that we have in all things of his perfect, sinless life that he willingly gave in submission to you and your plan so that we might be able to experience the power of God in our lives for forgiveness, for restoration, for redemption, and for our walk. Father, we need the power of Christ to live the life that you've called us to live in the circumstances that you've called us to be in. Father, whether they're the best of times or worst of times, we need you, we need your mercy, we need your grace to fight against pride in the good times. Father, we need your mercy and your grace to walk through the trials. Father, we need you more than anything. We need your word, and we also need one another. And Father, I pray that you would help us to lean on one another as you have designed as you have called us together to be the body of Christ, as you have placed us here for this time, for this purpose, for this season, to walk through our life together. Father, I pray that we would encourage one another in faith. Father, I pray for grace for each woman here to trust you more in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.